Morning, everybody. Welcome back to week two of our spiritual scolding known as the book of James. <laughs> if you got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open them up. We're going to go to uh, James chapter two. We're going to do like we did last week. We'll read through this chapter and then we will hit some highlights. We're not going to hit everything in here, but I want to try to uh, hit the main themes so that way we can kind of see what's going on with this, what that message is that James is trying to get us to understand, to get us to get down deep inside us. And each one of these chapters, I believe, has a central theme that kind of ties in with the overall theme of the whole book. So let's kick off James chapter 2, verse 1. I'm reading out of the New King James Version. In case it sounds slightly different from yours, you know why. My brethren, do not hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, with partiality. For if there should come into your assembly a man with gold rings and fine apparel, and there should also come a poor man in filthy clothes, and you pay attention to the one wearing fine clothes and say to him, you sit here in a good place, and say to the poor man, you stand there, or you sit here at my footstool, have you not shown partiality among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brethren, has God not chose the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor man. Do not the rich oppose you and drag you into the courts? Do they not blaspheme that noble name by which you are called? If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you do well. But if you show partiality, you commit sin, and are, not, and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumble in one point, he is guilty of all. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. Now if you do not commit adultery, but you do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and do as those who will be judged by the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says that he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, Depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. But do you want to know, O foolish man, that faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works faith was made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which said, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called the friend of God. You see then that a man is justified by works and not by faith only. Likewise, was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. 
I want to leave one thought, one statement that James says repeatedly in here in your mind this week. And I want you to be thinking about this, and it's that statement that faith without works is dead. But we need to realize this truth that we don't work to get saved. We work because we are saved. Our works show that we are saved. Our works prove that we are saved. Our works perfect that we are saved. And so it's not that we're working to get saved. We're working because we are saved. Now, James is starting off this chapter in what many would see even as a disconnect with the later part of the chapter because he's talking about partiality. He's talking about playing favorites. He's talking about discrimination. That's what James is really starting out and saying, and he's trying to get across to us. And you can even see this in verse four. He says, have you not shown partiality amongst yourselves and then become judges with evil thoughts? When you are playing favorites, have you not done this? When you are discriminating, have you not done this? When you're showing partiality to people, are you not doing this? Are you not passing a judgment? And James uses this illustration that somebody comes walking in and all of a sudden they look the part. They look like they're righteous. They look like they're worthy. And because they look like it, you start to play favorites. Here, have a front row seat. Let me usher you right in. Let me roll out the red carpet for you. We have this culture here in America where we do this so often. So often. We praise, we promote, and we listen to celebrities. And we take what a celebrity says with more value and more weight than even men and women of God. Because, well, they're in my favorite TV show. Because they wear my favorite type of clothes. Because they sing my type of music. Well, I must listen to everything they say. I must do what they do because I want to be like them. That's where our culture is at and it becomes then just playing favorites. We start to elevate somebody. I mean, what? Well, we're we're gonna we're gonna listen to Pastor Josh. I mean, why would we listen to that guy? I mean, what's he ever done? How much money does he make? What kind of a house does he live in? What has he ever really done? And yet we can see this throughout our culture. We see this so often that we start to play favorites. And we play favorites based on people that either have something that we want or they have something that we already have. Too often, that's what we're doing. I mean, and if we're honest with ourselves, we know that the people who are more like us, they're just easier to deal with, right? I mean, I can get along with people that are like me a whole lot easier than the people that are opposite of me. And so that means those are the people that I want to spend time with. Those are the people I want to go beyond and try to help out. But what James is trying to get across is that when we do that, we are playing favorites. And, and this isn't about, you know, friendship and where we have one that's here. I'm talking when somebody is coming to you and they have a need and you're sitting there and like, ah, oh, I mean, two people came to me and they both got a need and I like this one more. So I'm going to go with this one. 
That's the type of judgment that has an evil thought behind it because it's a thought that comes from our mind, not a thought that comes from the mind of Christ. We are wind up, we determined their value based on their possessions rather than based on their positions. Where are they at? They're in a place of need. When people are coming walking into the assembly, we shouldn't care what they look like or what they smell like, what they act like, what they've done. None of that should matter. Are they here? Are they trying to get closer to the living God? And if they are, we, we shouldn't be passing judgment on them. Amen. We shouldn't be treating them this way. Because that's not how God treats them. God doesn't pick teams like in a schoolyard playground where he's trying to stack it with the best people out there. That's not how God does it. Look at this in verse 5. He says, listen, my beloved brethren. Again, this is James speaking to those in the church. And yes, this is 2,000 years ago, but this is James speaking to those in the church today. Listen, my beloved brethren. Has God not chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom? Has he not done this? Has he not? That's what he's done. Oh, oh you think you're so great? <laughs> you think you're great? God didn't choose the great. He didn't choose the rich. He chose the poor. He didn't choose the wise. He chose the foolish. Oh, you think you're awesome? <laughs> you're not. What has your awesomeness ever done for you? I mean, I guess it blazed a path straight to hell. That's how awesome you were. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians. Look at this one. We'll pull up. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26. For you see your calling, brethren, that there are not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. Paul's saying this. He's like, you're not all that. Stop getting your ego in the way. Stop letting your head get swelled up and thinking that you are so awesome because by the world standards... When you line that up against the only one who is perfect, you're weak, you're poor, you're a fool, you're despised, you're nothing, but God's going to use you to confuse the rest of the world, to bring the rest of the world to shame. Why? Because he doesn't want us to glory. He doesn't want us to glorify, to exalt, to lift up the status of any other human being. He only wants us to glorify himself, the only perfect one. So what happens in an assembly when somebody comes in who is rich and wealthy and somebody comes in who's poor and smelly? 
What do we do when we pick one or the other? We glorify the one. But what happens if we treat them both the same? Both the same, as in both in need of a Savior. We glorify the one, Jesus Christ. And that's what he's telling us we need to do. Because when we start to glorify and exalt men, we are dishonoring God. We can't do that. We're not saved by our awesomeness. We're saved by God's. See, spiritually, when we come to God, we're all the same. We're all poor. We're all bankrupt. We're all lacking. But yet there are so many inside the church that won't look at the spiritual condition. They only want to look at the material condition. We see somebody that's dressed nice, that's driving the nice car, that they're properly groomed, that they smell like roses. And all of a sudden, we think that that person's got it all together. And what God is saying is oftentimes, that's the person that is really struggling. Because everybody is struggling without him. And we need to see him as that. Stop elevating them. Treat them as those who need Jesus. And yes, I understand that we want to be loved. We want to be accepted. And we think that we're treating people the way that we're wanting to be treated, but we try to see ourselves as better than we actually are. That's where this problem comes in. We can't play favorites. We can't show partiality. Look at this down in verse 14. Actually, verse 13 here is where I want, to, I want you to see this. Verse 13, he says, Judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This mercy, I've talked about this in the past, giving you some simple definitions of grace and mercy and how grace and mercy are really two sides of the same coin. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. Not getting what you do deserve. What do we all deserve? See, the thing is, is when two men come walking into the assembly, two men who are unrighteous come walking in to an assembly of the righteous, they don't belong there. They don't deserve to be there. Where do they deserve to be? In the lowest place, rejected. But we wind up accepting one, which means we're really not showing mercy to the other. We're showing mercy to one. And that's where we play favorites. Mercy is saying, yes, you don't deserve to be here. But guess what? God invited you anyways. Guess what? You don't deserve to stand in God's presence. But yet he came down to make his presence among you. You don't deserve heaven. But he gave you access anyways. That's mercy. That's mercy. And what James is telling us is that we need to be showing this mercy. We need to be going above and beyond for this mercy. And like I told you last week, James here is just echoing what Jesus has already said. Jesus has already said this. We see this in the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 9, verse 13. He tells people, go and learn what this means 
I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I didn't come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And this is because they're arguing over the fact that Jesus is sitting down and eating with sinners? Wow, I can't believe he would do that. Jesus is like, how about you go learn what this means? These are the people that had works, mind you, but their works were nothing more than just sacrifices that they were offering to find good favor for him. And he's like, I desire, here is what I really want. I want mercy. Not sacrifice. I want mercy. That's what he's desiring. And then we go back to James and we see that in James 2.13. Judgments without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. He's like, stop being judgmental. Start being merciful. Start showing mercy. Start giving mercy. And we see this concept that he's talking about. Mercy and judgment and favoritism and discrimination. And we see him talking about this and all of a sudden he jumps into faith and works. And there's often this disconnect that we have reading this chapter. How do these two sections even tie together? But if you look at verse 14, you see them tie together perfectly. What does it profit? What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith but doesn't have works, can faith save him? What does it profit? He's saying this. He's saying this right on the heels of saying, you need to show mercy. You need to start doing what your Savior has done. But what does it profit if you just say you're doing what the Savior's done, but you don't actually do what the Savior's done? Does that faith, does that belief actually save you? Can it save him? And this is one of those rhetorical questions. A rhetorical question is a question that the answer is already assumed. It's already there. It's obvious. The answer is no. Faith can't save him. But pastor, aren't we saved by faith? Yes. If it's actually faith. Not this kind of faith. This kind of faith won't do anything. Look at what it says in the message translation of this one. The message translation of 2.14. Dear friends, do you think you'll get anywhere in this if you learn all the right words, but you never do anything? Does merely talking about faith indicate that a person really has it? That's what James is saying. He's like, oh, you say you have faith but you don't have works, which means you don't even have faith. You think you've got it, you don't. Oh, you say that you're acting like your Savior, but you want to be judgmental and not merciful? <laughs> yeah, you're not like your Savior at all. Oh, you claim to be a child of God, but yet you don't want to treat people like God has treated them. You want to start playing favorites. Yeah, you're not a child of God after all. 
You don't even know what your father would do. That's what James is trying to get. And this is harsh words, but he's talking to his brothers and sisters. He's saying, what good is it to just say you're a Christian? Why don't you act like a Christian? You jump down to verse 17. And look at this. Faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Faith by itself is useless, is pointless, is worthless. If you don't have works with your faith, it's dead. What are you even doing? I mean, imagine the disappointment on my children's face. They decided that they wanted a new game system. PS5 is the newest one. You can't even find it anywhere. Don't even know how I would get it, even if I wanted to get it. That's what they've determined they want. Can you imagine how they would like it Christmas morning? If I got them a PS5, they open the box, they try to plug it in, and then they realize uh, it doesn't actually work. It's just a shell. Has no innards. Can't do anything. But hey, I got you a PS5, right? <laughs> no, I, I can tell you exactly what Reagan would do. I'll tell you exactly what she did, because we had one of these moments where I got her like a box, and it was an empty box, and she thought there was a present in it. Oh, man, she chucked that thing at me, like four <laughs> years old. Furious. And yet the world is wanting a Christian who is like Christ, and yet we got nothing on the inside. We don't know how to work. We're not doing anything that Christ actually did. And yet we want to say we're a Christian? No, we're useless, we're pointless, we're worthless, we're dead. Our faith is then dead. It just doesn't work that way. This is what James is trying to get across. Hey, you say you want to be like Jesus, but you don't want to show mercy. You want to play favorites. You are worthless. And you don't even have a faith at all. Sure not a faith in Christ. Goes on in verse 18. And I thought James is going to let up for a second. You know, I mean, feels like he keeps just stepping on toes. And I'm thinking, I, I only got a couple more, James. You've stepped on a bunch of them at this point. How many more are you going to get? Well, apparently he's going to get every one. Someone will say that you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Oh, well, you're just more of a doer than I am. <laughs> I mean, this is a ridiculous argument. It's ridiculous. Because here's the thing. You, you, people want to say, ah, oh, well, you know what? You just, you're more of a doer. I'm not. I, I'm, I'm more of a thinker. I'm more of a prayer. No, you're more of a liar. Because you say you're like Jesus, but you're not. That's what you are. 
See, the greatest way for the world to know that we're Christians is when they look at us and they see Christ in us. That's what happens. When people look at us and all of a sudden they're like, there is no way they would ever do that unless they truly believed that God was watching them and requiring them to do that. There are so many things that God has called us to do that he himself did that make no sense, at least by worldly standards, and the world thinks that we're crazy for doing them. I mean, we actually show up on Sunday mornings. We come here every week to kind of hear the same message over and over and over again for years upon years upon years. Why would you do that? What, what? That doesn't make any sense, especially when football's on. Why are you there? Like, I just, I, that doesn't make any sense. Wait, you just earned all that money this week and you gave 10% of it back to a church that just gets lazy and preaches the same message over and over and over again. Why, why would you do that? That doesn't make any sense. Wait, you, you mean you actually put other people first? That doesn't make any sense. Why are you praying? Why, why do you do that? Why? Like so many things that we do that doesn't make any sense. You know why we do it? Because we truly believe that God has told us to do it. And we truly believe that God is watching us and will judge us based on what we do and what we don't do. So somebody can say, ah, oh, well, you're more of a doer. You're darn tootin' I'm more of a doer. And you ought to be too. He didn't call us just to be hearers. He called us to be doers. Verse 19, if that wasn't enough, you believe there's one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. That may be the scariest verse in, the, in all the Bible. That may be the scariest verse. You believe there's one God. Great job. That belief does a lot of good because even the demons believe that. But you know what? The demons actually take it one step farther than most Christians do because the demons are at least afraid of God. The demons tremble. They shudder. That word tremble or shudder in other translations, you're so aware that God is real that your hair will stand on your arms. Because you know he is there and he is watching you. That's the demons. But you know what the difference is between a Christian and a demon? Action. We believe the same thing. Only one of us will do something about it. So if you're a Christian that's like, oh, well, you're more of a doer and you're more of a demon. Because if we're not doing something about it, <laughs> what do we actually say? That we've got a better theology than the demons do? No. Because they at least have fear that goes with it. Most Christians have no fear of God whatsoever. If they had a fear of God, it would lead them to actually do something and act like it. The difference is action. 
The difference is action. Satan wants to be judgmental. Satan wants to condemn us. What does God want to do? Be merciful and save us. <laughs> and then, if that's not it, man, I, I love James. I love him, but here we go, verse 20. Hey, idiots, you want to know something? Faith without works is dead. <laughs> He's like, do I need to tell you again? Do I need to make this more evident for you? Oh, foolish one. Hey, dum-dums. Open up your mind and get this. I love the message translation in this. Look at it. Use your heads. Do you suppose that for a minute you can cut faith and works in two and not end up with a corpse on your hands? Use your heads. We cannot separate faith from works. And he understands that these are people that are struggling with this concept because they're like, ah, oh, well, you know what? I, I'm just, I'm more of a hearer. I just kind of take it all in and, and I think about it for a while. And maybe if I feel compelled enough, then I'll actually do something about it. He's dealing with these type of people. And he's like, no, you know this. Use your heads. You've got this. You understand this. I know you know this. Remember, he's talking to the first Christians out there. The early church the 12 tribes which were scattered abroad and he saw what they were doing. And here's James who was the pastor in Jerusalem. He's like, wake up. Open your mind. Start using them. I know you know this. I know you know this. Because you guys love Abraham. You love Abraham. And think about what Abraham did. Abraham it was his faith and his works working together when he offered up Isaac. But he gives them not only Abraham, who many of them would sit there and be like, oh yeah, but this is Abraham. He's this great, mighty, righteous man of God. He's like, yeah, yeah, Abraham, but also Rahab. You know the prostitute? She did it too. She had works to go with her faith. And both of them were justified by that. Verse 22 is brilliant, and I need you to see the brilliance in verse 22 here. Do you see that faith was working together with his works, and by works, faith was made perfect? We talk about in this church, we want to be, and we are, full faith. When I think of full faith, I think of a perfect measure of faith. Because if, if it's not full, then we're lacking something, right? We want it to be full. We want it to be perfected. If we really want a perfected, full faith, there has to be works. Because the works are making that faith perfect. What are we actually doing? What have we done we need to be putting ourselves through this test because James is sitting here and he's like, just like your body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. If you don't have the works, what is that that you call faith? Because it's not real. It's not really faith. 
You see, we had a simple test, a simple way of examining ourselves rather than just assuming what everybody says that we've got great faith, that it's a beautiful faith, that we're so full of faith. Rather than just assuming that, there's a simple test to make sure that our faith isn't pointless, isn't worthless, isn't useless, isn't dead. The simple one is, what have you done? What did you do? Where are your works? What's the action? The simplest way for us to test our faith and see whether it's a genuine faith, a faith that is being perfected by works, or whether it's a pointless, worthless, useless, dead faith, is to ask the simple question, what did I do with the message I heard last week? What did I do with it? How did I act upon it? What have I done with the word that I've heard? And if we're struggling to come up with an answer to that, that should locate us really fast to let us know that at least our faith in this last week has been pretty useless. So what are we going to do with the message we heard today? If you want a great starting point of what to do with it, it's to go back to the beginning of James. The beginning of this chapter. Because he tells us clearly. Right there in, what was it, verse... 13, judgments without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Think about that. And that's what I would challenge us all to do this week, is to figure out how we can show mercy to people. Because if I were to just ask you, what is a great picture of mercy? Most of us would start thinking about Jesus. We would start thinking about ways that Jesus was merciful with us. And that's what he wants. That's what James is trying to get across to us. He's like, the easiest way for us to have works that prove our faith, because what is our faith after all? Is the faith that we have, the faith that saves us, not a faith in the grace and mercy of God? And if our faith is in the grace and mercy of God, shouldn't our faith be working like the grace and mercy of God? So how can we be more merciful? How can I show more mercy to people? I don't have the answer to that for you. God does. I'd recommend that what we do, all of us, is we take this message and we pray and we ask God, show me how to do what you've said. Show me how to put works 
behind the faith that you've given me. Show me how to be merciful like you are merciful. Amen? Let's pray.